I have a friend who graduated with me in 2003 from Trinity Seminary. His name is Julian Linnell, Dr. Julian Linnell. Immediately after graduation, he, he became the leader of Anglican Frontier Missions. And he lived in Richmond, Virginia for the better part of eight years. And then he was whisked away by an independent, Puritan-type church in downtown Boston on Park Street. If you know anything about the Boston geography, that's right on Boston Common. Park Street Church was built in 1805 because Old South Church in Boston was becoming revisionist. So we're no place new, dear friends. And Park Street Church to this day is a rock-solid, wonderful church ministering in Boston. They're really modern-day Puritans right there in the heart of the city. And Julian is there as the director of missions, the minister of missions there. He's the token Anglican uh, as he worships there each and every week. But it's a real interesting place. And if you went into Park Street Church, you would see a bronze plaque on the wall. Beautiful old stone church, high spire. And on this plaque it says, Joseph S. Elsuski, seaman second class. Lost February 3rd, 1943, North Atlantic. Author Alan Emery writes in his book, A Turtle on a Fence Post, like thousands of other, others, he and Joseph Olszewski, the day after Pearl Harbor, enlisted. Their choice being the Coast Guard to serve. And he was immediately put to work, Alan Emery was put to work in his hometown of Boston. You know, he had a was stationed there as a quartermaster and had guard duty every Friday night guarding the wharfs. And so one particular afternoon, because he had night duty, he awoke from his nap and out came his new acquaintance, Joseph Elzuski, in his full dress blues. The Coast Guard dress blues were very much like the Navy dress blues. Sharp. You know, hat squared off, shoes spit-shined, the piping running down his trousers. And Emery looked at him, or he looked at Emery and said, how do I look? And he said, you look great. What's the big event? He said, well, last night at the USO, I met a beautiful, wealthy girl. She invited me to spend the weekend at her apartment on Beacon Hill. She's got wealth, she's got records, and she's got booze. I'm in. And he didn't have a week, he had a weekend pass, so he didn't have to be back to the base until 0700 hours Monday morning. He said to, Ra to Alan Emery, this is going to be the greatest weekend of my life. Emery replied, that's great, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> so Ozuski walked out, 30 seconds later he came back in and said, what did you say to me? He said, I said, I'll be praying for you. He said, why in the world would you be praying for me when I'm going to have the best weekend of my life? He said, because, Joe, Monday morning when you came back, you'll not be the same person as you are right now. Because sin always leaves a mark. Well, Olszewski dropped a couple F-bombs on him. Gave him the number one, 
and walked out. So Emery prepared for guard duty, and as he was on duty, through the, 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 blink, the, the stark floodlights of the base, came a frowning and agitated Joel Ozuski, who suddenly reappeared. And he said to Emery, how can someone have a good time when someone's praying for them? <laughs> You've ruined my weekend. I stood up my beautiful date. I've been waiting for you to come on duty. Now tell me how to find Jesus. That night, Alan Emery led seaman first class, second class Joe Ozuski to faith in Jesus Christ. And the change couldn't have been more dramatic. He instantly dove in. Because that's what happens when you meet Jesus. You, you see the abundant life that's there. Going after the false glories that he thought, which were very enjoyable, by the way. You know. But they don't satisfy. And so Joel Ozuski instantly joined Park Street Church. Spent all his free time on the Boston Common which was filled with soldiers and sailors and marines getting ready to go to Europe, inviting them to the services there. He, he would go to the Roman Catholic St. Paul's Cathedral and pray with other guys who were there because St. Paul's was open 24 hours a day for anybody to enter. And he grew in his knowledge of the scriptures under the great preaching of Dr. Harold Ockinger. Some of you may have read some of Dr. Ockinger's writings. Phenomenal preacher and expositor of his day. And so on February 1st, 1943, Joel Ozuski volunteered on a minesweeper headed for Iceland. And just a few days out of New York, a torpedo hit the mark. And he died, along with the rest of the ship. Stories like that motivate me. They help have a way of clearing the fog of our, my life and helping me to see what is truly important. You know I was a Peanuts fan growing up. Every morning I read Peanuts. And one of my favorite Peanuts cartoons I remember to this day, open it up, and there's Linus. Throws a stick for Snoopy. And Snoopy, you know, being a dog, his first instinct is to retrieve it. So he starts to run, and then he stops. And he thinks about it, and Charles Schultz spent two panels of the cartoon with Snoopy just thinking. <laughs> thinking, just thinking. And he paused for a moment and decided against it. And he said, you know, I want to have people say more about me after I'm gone, saying, he was a nice guy, he chased sticks. When I'm reminded of the gospel's power to change a life, and I'm motivated to stop chasing 21st century sticks, and get back to what is really important. It helps, helps me get right back in what I know what God's called me to do. And I know it'll do the same for you as we walk through this text. I invite you to open up with me to Romans chapter 1. For what we see in verses 8 through 15 of Paul's introduction to the Roman church. It affects me. And as we've heard it this morning. I think as we examine our lives, we, like Snoopy, will recognize that maybe we've been chasing too many sticks and get back to what is really important. What a motivated, look like, what a motivated life looks like in the kingdom of God. 
So Paul introduces himself to the Romans church coming off last week where he clearly articulated the clarity of the letter for the Roman reader. He, he showed clearly who his identity is in Jesus Christ, his view of the power of the preached word, his view of, of ministry, and his view of the Roman church. And he concluded with that great phrase, grace and peace to you, dear Roman friends. Grace and peace to all of you and to our, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he continues that introduction by talking to them what proper motivations for the Christian life are all about. First, we're motivated by gratitude. Second, we're motivated by mutual encouragement. And third, we're motivated by mutual obligation. So if you're taking notes, that's what it's about. All right, motivated by gratitude. Two, motivated by mutual encouragement. Three, motivated by mutual obligation. So the first point, Paul is telling these Roman readers that first, he's motivated by gratitude, verses 8 through 10. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul is so thankful to God that the Holy Spirit in his sovereignty in the 27 years since Jesus has been raised from the dead has taken the gospel 2,400 miles from Jerusalem to Rome. Now, this is before, you know, smartphones, internet, radio, trains, Pony Express. It, this is the, you got there by foot, people. Or by a horse, if you're a nobleman. And that's really pretty quick. We believe, as I mentioned last week, that some Jewish believers from Rome, probably we don't know exactly, but probably came to that first Pentecost. And took it back to Rome, and now, 27 years later, there's a church in Rome. Population not 25,000, population 350. 50,000, which in the ancient world is huge. It's a 42-hour distance drive today. It's like going from New York to Las Vegas. It'll take you a while. We forget how, what life was like. You know, my great-grandparents really didn't go very far from their homes their entire lives. If they were lucky, they got on a train. They never went over on a boat. Because their thought was, why in the world do we want to go back there? This is home. But the reality is, this is Rome. And Paul is so grateful that the gospel has gotten there and there's a church. It's the largest city. It's the center of the empire. And Paul's thinking, if it can spread to Rome, it can go to the rest of the world. Because in the back of his mind, he's got that great commission. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Paul's getting stoked about that. Because if it starts in smaller communities, it can spread to the Gotham cities of the world. The metropolises of the world. If it can reach Jerusalem, it can reach Rome. If it can reach the west shore of Cleveland, it can reach Cleveland and beyond. 
Did you know that in 1989, which I say that year, because that's the year Tim Keller arrived at Redeemer Presbyterian in Manhattan, <coughs> the statistics said that 2% of Manhattan population went to a Bible-professing church. 2%. Today, 10% of Manhattan Island goes to a Bible-professing church. Now, there's a lot of people who don't. But there's a lot more people who do because of God's people being called back into the city. We have a whole generation of of young people that are going back into cities now. Good. It's great. Because that's what we need to do. Because if the Bible can reach the West Shore, the Bible can reach back into Lakewood and back into the city and beyond. And we should be grateful for that. And that's what motivates Paul, and he, he prays for them every day. And he's thankful for what God has done, and he's looking forward to seeing them someday, and he can't wait to see them. Why? Verse 11, because he's motivated, because when he does get there, they're going to have mutual encouragement. Verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Paul's never seen these Roman believers He's he's not sure of what gift he might impart to them. But he simply wishes to be with them, and as he gets to know them, how he can best disciple them and encourage them in the Lord. He says the same to the Corinthian church in his second letter, chapter 12, verse 14. He writes, Here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. I'll not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. He's more concerned about just them being an encouragement to them, helping them in their walks. And he understands the benefit would be mutual in Rome to him as well. Look at verse 12. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. See, Paul claims that these new believers in Rome are going to be an encouragement to him. Uh, Paul writes in the first letter that we had read this morning, uh, not Paul, but John. This is John, who, who's the beloved disciple, writes to the early church in the fir- fourth verse of the first chapter, I write this to you, that we may make our joy complete. It's mutual. John and Paul knew the very few things that strengthen an older believer's faith. More nothing strengthens the older believer's faith than a younger vibrant new believer in Jesus Christ. And similarly, there is very little that will benefit the new believer than the exposure of the, a more seasoned believer, a mature faith, an experienced brother or sister in Jesus Christ, to encourage them. And it's mutual. I'm sure that when Alan Emery and Joe Ilsuski parted, the older could have written the younger For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. See, when we're called together, dear friends, it's a mutual encouragement ministry. It's always one of the grand underlying motivations for ministry. And when you experience it, you long for more of it. Those of you who have been in any of our small groups, you know what I talk about, right? You really, after a season of a summer, you're looking forward to getting back to it. You're excited. 
and you can't get enough, and Paul can't get enough and can't wait to see the Roman church. This implies two things. Number one, obviously, the importance of coming together on the Lord's day. But because the church is always called family, and you know you don't choose your family, and you know we're all different types of people in this room, right? Different races, different tribes, different areas of the country, different instances. Some of you guys can't stand fried chicken, and I ate it four times this week. Four times! The kids are gone. I don't care. <laughs> you know what? There are things that we have, we might have nothing in common with one another, but we have a common understanding of who our Lord is in Jesus Christ. And that means we have everything in common. And I love you. And we're so excited to be together, not only on Sundays, but in our small groups. So if you're not in a group, you'll never really uh, understand this mutual encouragement unless you're in one. There's brochures out in the hallway. Pick one up. There's a group for you. You won't be asked to pray out loud. You won't be asked to read out loud. Uh, you can just go and sit and drink your coffee and tink it in. I encourage you. Please consider the importance of that mutual encouragement ministry expressed in our small groups. And finally, what we see is Paul is also motivated by a sense of obligation. Verses 14 and 15. I'm under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul is saying here that he must pay a gospel debt to all the Gentiles. And he uses two phrases that they would have understood to describe the entirety of of the Gentile population of the world at that time. When he uses the terms Greeks and barbarians, he's talking about all those who are of Greco-Roman heritage and all those who are not, who are barbarians. In Germany, the Goths, the Visigoths, they were barbaric. Those Vikings in Norway, those Angles in England, and Saxons, pagans, that they were and are. He, everyone, he's saying, I got a debt. And so what he also says, the wise and the foolish, he means those who are educated and those who are of little education. In other words, everyone, Paul can't rest until he has spent every gospel dollar to every Gentile creditor. That is why in chapter 15, he says he, he can't wait. He's going to go to Rome, and then he's going to go to Spain, which is where Kimmy's heritage is from. See, the debt is to them, but it's also to God out of gratitude. Ultimately, the payment, the debt is to God, but the payment is to men. In other words, Christians pay it forward. It was great conversation that great missionary Hudson Taylor spent his life to go to, to inland China and founded the China Inland Mission. Great Baptist missionary, and after a whole life of ministry there, you know, someone said to him, oh, Mr. Taylor, you must just have a great love for the Chinese. He said, no, I love God. And I love the Chinese through God. See, my friends, what Paul is saying, we are great debtors in this West Shore community to our friends 
our coworkers, where we live, where we work, where we play. And this kind of indebtedness might even make us run the risk of appearing a fool by telling a deluded sinner that we'll pray for him when they're going to go party their rear ends off. Taking that risk. That's actually a pretty good thing to say, you know, 70-something years later. I think I'll try that the next time someone says that. I'll report back. You report back. Let me know what that happens. It's a risk, but that's what the Christian life is. You know, we're going to become increasingly obvious to our culture. And so in closing, Paul is motivated in review by a gratitude for what the Lord has done in these Romans. He's motivated by the prospect of mutual encouragement so that everyone would benefit. And he's motivated by a sense of debt because everyone would benefit. God had given him so much and Paul could never pay it back. But he had and we have to pay the gospel forward. Now hold that thought because part two is coming next week about further motivation. But for today and this upcoming week, let's ask ourselves, what sticks have you been chasing? What things in your life really haven't mattered much? You notice in the welcome, I always say, for those who have struggled in their walk with Jesus this week and long for strength, try to cover all bases in that welcome. Maybe that's you. May I suggest, how much better would it be if we would take on Paul's motivations of his love from the cross, that recognizing God's love for him and motivated by gratitude for what the Lord has done in others' lives, motivated by the mutual encouragement that we get each and every Sunday as we hang out. And by the way, hang out after the service. We even got donuts. You know, we got coffee. And it's pretty good. I think it's Folgers. You know, <laughs> Folgers Classic has gotten better than the old stuff. It's not chock full of nuts. Hang around. Get to know one another. Just don't rush out if you can. And last, let's be motivated by a sense of debt. I owe you, Lord, and I'm going to pay this forward to this community, to my brothers and sisters and beyond here on the West Shore. Maybe you don't have a clue of what I'm talking about. Maybe you stumbled in here for the very first time. And unlike Joel Suski, you don't know what it is to be cleared of your sins. To be innocent before God and to have Jesus in your daily life. I want to encourage you to come into the kingdom with us. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and died the death we should have died. And by placing our trust in Jesus Christ, we possess eternal life and in this life have a transformed, abundant life. You are the most hilarious people I know because you get it. And if you stumbled in here this morning or maybe you've been coming in for years and all of a sudden the Lord just, just sparked you forward, Let's give it over to him once again, because the gospel's for all of us, both non-Christians and Christians, so that we too can pay it forward. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come to you this morning grateful that we can see what proper motivated lives should look like. 
We come to you this morning, Lord, and once again, we look to you and confess before you that we are sinners to the core, rebels in everything that we say and do, and recognize before you we can't stand. But we also know, without a shadow of a doubt now, that Jesus, you're the one who came for us, revealed yourself to us, died for us, and rose again. You conquered death. And as we will say in a few minutes, you're seated at the right hand of the Father. And Lord, we give you our lives. We ask forgiveness for all our sins. And Lord, we pray that as you cleanse us, and we walk in you this day, we would know your transforming power by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we would live our lives like Joe Osuski, sold out for the good news of Jesus in our day. And we would be encouragers, motivated properly out of a love for you and a love for what you're doing among us at Christ Church and beyond. With a love for, out of, that we would encourage one another in doing so because of the debt that we owe you, we, we would pay this forward, Lord, for the rest of our lives, not chasing sticks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.